to Theology Doesn't Suck. Uh, my name is Andy Herman, and with me today is Josh Patterson, the lovely and the beautiful. Uh, Josh, <laughs> last week, last week you you missed out on an interesting episode. I was I was sorry to have you away. Yeah, I did. I was, um, I was super bummed. Originally, it was going to work out. Um, you know, luckily we had Matt, our new producer, who's doing awesome, by the way. Uh, luckily he was able to step in and fill in for me. Originally, uh, my buddy Brandon was going to land here in, uh, in Fort Lauderdale at like noon, but then his flight got canceled for a whole three inches of snow in Maryland. And so <laughs> his flight didn't oh, land wow. until seven thirty. So unfortunately well, I missed out, but it seems like you guys did a good job. Oh, oh, a great job, Josh. <laughs> I, I was telling Matt that the listeners are probably going to be demanding, uh, him replacing you soon enough. Oh, that's probably fair. Uh, <laughs> I mean, 100%, that's probably, probably fair. true. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, anything anything exciting going on with you this week? Anything wild, crazy? No, ravishing? not too much. I mean, like I said, Brandon's here. And, um, well, as uh, well, some of our listeners uh, know, I work in a, currently at a Methodist church. Um, and so they just mm, had their big... Big week for the yeah, Methodists. they just had their big conference. <laughs> and so, obviously, there's fallout from that and... Um, you know, as always, a bunch of disgruntled Methodists on both sides. So <laughs> that's what's going on with mm-hmm. that. But that's I've, that's an interesting thing to uh, to be tackling and, and talking with people. You know, our congregation is very diverse, so it's very split. So we don't have, you know, yeah. more people one or the other. So that's been uh, that's been interesting, to say the least. Have there any have there been any fist fights in the church? Not that I yet? know of. However, I am probably okay. going to encourage some fist fights uh, on Sunday for Sunday school amongst my students. Just to see, okay, you know, that's good. you know, separate that's them, good. see, you know, whoever, <laughs> whoever wins the fight, their side's right. That's just how it's going to work. Awesome. Well, that's that's good. Um, well, also with us today, once again, two weeks in a row, we have a very exciting guest. So I'd like to introduce to everyone, uh, Mr. Brad Isbell, also known as Chortles Weekly. <laughs> How's it going? Hey, I'm fine. Feeling feeling pretty weak, you know. And uh, <laughs> oh, that's good. I'll, I'll try not to suck here on theology. Doesn't suck. Right on. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's it'd be hard to really get much lower than the bar we've set, so don't worry too yeah, much. We, <laughs> we've we've been there, believe me. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, for for those of you who might not know, uh, Brad or Chortles is uh, is a co-host of a podcast called Presbycast, of which I am an avid listener. Um, and I don't know, Josh, have you ever listened to Presbycast, or have you not dove in that? In that not to the extent yet. that you have i've i've skimmed okay. it based off your suggestion um especially knowing that uh we're gonna have a guest on and i didn't want to look too stupid but i'm used That's i'm good. used to you making me look stupid so i'm i'm ready for it <laughs> <laughs> well we have a we have a lot more help to make you look stupid this week it won't be me by myself fantastic i look forward to it um <laughs> so so today um we're really excited to get talking about, I guess, the first thing, the obligatory question that we're going to have to ask, and I have a feeling I know where, what your answer is going to be, but but Brad, are you a hockey fan? Well, I am. I was born and raised in the South, so uh, okay. I can't say, but but here's the deal. My, uh, my wife uh, spent a few years in Buffalo, mm. and she knows a lot about hockey, and uh, of course the Nashville Predators have been pretty good lately and uh that's you know two and a half hours west of here so we do watch some hockey she knows the rules much better than i do but um (laughs) yeah and and my co-host my co-host resby is a a hockey fan oh cool oh he is wow okay that's that's good to know um so would you say the predators are your default team are they kind of the default team for the south in general (laughs) there's there's a team in atlanta um but you know the predators because there's no nba team there and because that arena over there was sort of built for that hockey team it's a good size about fifteen thousand, and it you know i've been there and it's it's pretty um it's well they're well supported oh cool okay yeah that's good. Um, awesome. Well, I'm glad glad to know that you at least watch occasional hockey. That's better than some of the past guests we've had. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe a, do- but, a dozen games a year. Maybe right on. It's better oh, than well, zero games. Hey, a year. that's pretty good. That is better than zero games a year. Absolutely. Um, and and speaking of rules, um, you know, you're talking about hockey rules. Speaking of rules, what we want to talk about today is uh, church government and and polity and how the church is run, how the institution of the church is organized. Uh, and things like that. So we're very excited to get talking about that. Uh, for all of our listeners who are already thinking, 
of turning off the podcast and just skipping until next week. Don't do that because this is interesting stuff. Uh, yeah, Andy's going to advocate so, for Christian anarchy and it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> wow. No. no. Um, but anyway, well, so watched, uh, so watched, for those of you who might not know. I've watched two, oh, where, I've watched two movies about Martin Luther, uh, on uh, foreign movies about Martin Luther in the last couple of uh, weeks. And um, I got to see some of the Christian anarchy with uh, – with Thomas Munzer, so oh, uh, I'm not not a great <laughs> yeah. fan of it. Right, <laughs> not super life. keen on that. Um, and and for those of you who don't know where we may be coming from on this podcast, uh, uh, Brad and I are both members of PCA churches. Brad, you're a ruling elder, right, at a PCA church? Yes, I think I have been for about ten years, um, maybe maybe okay. twelve years, ten, eleven, something. Okay, awesome. And then Josh uh, is currently at a Methodist church, a UMC church. Correct. However, I am not a member at said church. I just work there. <laughs> okay, interesting. Well, that, that could open a whole other can of worms. Um, but I wanted to start by maybe just talking about some of what we see uh, in, uh, particularly in mainstream evangelicalism today in terms of like what kind of the generic form of church government is uh, what some of its pitfalls are, um, maybe some of where it doesn't quite line up with scripture and things like that. So uh, I don't know. Do either of you, if either of you feel ready, you feel free to jump in and just if you one of you wants to take the lead on that description. Otherwise, I can. <laughs> well, I'd say the default form is is congregationalism of a type, uh, independency mm-hmm. is the old is the way people would have described it a hundred years ago. Um, but we've got some new wrinkles. Um, you know, yeah. Baptist churches and, and evangelical churches, which are basically Baptist, yeah. um, that they they are all congregational. And as we've learned with the um, the SBC sex sex scandals, um, there's no real power that like the Southern Baptist Convention has over. You know, they can disfellowship a church, but that you know that yeah. uh, that there's no presbytery. The associations have some power, but it's all very voluntary. Uh, and so there's not a lot of teeth in that form of church government, uh, and like I, you know, I often say in jest, sort of to be mean that you know the Southern Baptist uh, Confession of Faith will fit on a, you know two sides of a business card. That's not exactly <laughs> that's not exactly true, but you know in six in six point depends on the, the size of the yeah, in six point type you might get six it in point there. five. There you go. So um, uh, but, so that's the kind of the default form. Uh, where churches are yeah. independent uh, of one another, but we've got some new wrinkles in the past twenty years with the young, restless, and reformed movement, where a lot mm. of these guys who were enamored with um, reformed theology picked up elements, and and it was good because it was biblical. They picked up elements of of Presbyterian church government, which suddenly, instead of having a pastor and some deacons, as they called them, who often functioned like elders. They had explicitly and intentionally they had elders, um, yeah. But those elders are not are not necessarily a, they're not really accountable to anybody outside of that local church. So in some cases, I mean, I've kind of heard about things in sort of the the fringy, true Reformed Baptist type world. Um, you know, that can become sort of dictatorial. Where um, mm-hmm. where the elders have more power even than they would have in a Presbyterian church, uh, and that to me that can be one of the worst things. I mean, think look at look at Mark Driscoll and, and Mars Hill. <laughs> Absolutely, he had, yeah. he had elders, but you know <clears throat> yeah. he wasn't really accountable to them, and they weren't accountable to anyone. And um, yeah. and you know the rules can change from one year or one decade to the next in these churches as they rewrite things. You know, my church is, you know, every church in the PCA uses the book of church order, and um, everyone's playing by the same rules, and everyone's accountable, and there's someone looking over everyone's shoulder. So we're getting ahead of our, yeah. we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but the default form would be congregationalism. But as you guys probably know, congregationalism can become uh, papacy. <laughs> you can have yeah. a local, yeah, you can have a local pope, yeah. and it, you know, you can, you can, um, you can vacillate between, uh, you know, a local pope and mob rule. You know, that's you know, I don't, I don't mean to, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't mean to say bad things about people, but sure. you know, the, theoretically, a, a Southern Baptist church can call a business meeting, get enough people there, and fire the pastor on Wednesday night just because 
a majority a majority of them want to do that. Sure. Uh, yeah. But it, you know, if the pastor's a strong, charismatic personality, or maybe he's got, a, you know, connected to two or three families, he may have enough power to function like a pope. Um, so, yeah. congregationalism, independency can can have a lot of different flavors, and more today than ever. Again, sure, because of sure. yeah, and and there, I would I I probably don't know as well as as either of you might, but as far as I know, historically going back, there isn't really a lot of precedent for that type of church government before, like kind of the radical Reformation, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think you know you've got Baptist tool. Trace lineage back to the um, the Waldensians or some of the some of those small, short-lived, you know. And you have you'll have some landmark Baptists that'll say there's this trail of blood that goes all. You know, growing up in a Southern Baptist church, I used to hear that John the Baptist was the first Baptist. You all know. right. <laughs> you know, he basically found, okay. he basically founded the Southern Baptist Church uh, Convention. Oh wow! In, in effect. But um, so you know you're right about that, and I hadn't thought about it. uh, But that's that's exactly that's exactly right. There wasn't hardly any congregational form on any kind of wide scale before the uh, 16th century. Yeah, yeah, and and, uh, it's interesting because of like just the extreme independence that those churches have. Like like you said, it can just it becomes such a fickle form of church government, and often gives rise to I think the phenomenon of the the celebrity pastors that we have today, such as Driscoll and McDonald and guys like that, who who just are able to run rampant and do whatever they want, kind of. Yeah, yeah. what's interesting um, too, and another extreme of that is something that I personally experienced. Uh, a church that I have served at previously um, had what seemed like no church governance at all. And so the, the there was a quote-unquote board, but the board was made up of the founding pastor, the head pastor of our campus, and then the head pastor of the campuses in New York. And so, and then like one of their buddies. And so whenever there was an issue or, or anything came up, there was no one to go to, like as, as an employee, as a, mm-hmm. you know, um, serving on team it just you couldn't do anything, and there was no accountability at all. So that's a, that's another yeah. thing that I personally experienced, and uh, it's not great. Yeah, t- yeah. Uh, you know, having you know, being a Presbyterian, that idea of 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 working without a net and without any guardrails and without a seatbelt is just sort of terrifying. Oh, absolutely. Um, just yeah. I, mean, I think rightfully so. so. Some people want that. Some people want the freedom to do all these things, but we know what humans usually do with uh, freedom. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so before we get too much also into to maybe talking about the the pros and cons of specific forms, I also wanted to touch on maybe some of the, the other forms that are out there, such as Lutheran church government, Episcopalianism, uh, like Episcopal government, what? How? How are different churches, like major churches in in the world, structured? So, um, well, really, there's only so looking, three. You know, there's only three. Yeah, there's congregational or independency. Let's say that independency, yeah. Presbyterianism, and and some form of episcopacy, okay. which you know your Methodist right. church would would be. You know, you've got bishops. Yep. And you've got uh, you've got uh, uh, regions or. Yep. What will they call it? It's um, like districts, I guess. Districts. Conferences, yeah. Yep. And uh, okay. And then, and then, uh, of course, the Roman Catholic Church is is that way. The yep. Lutherans are to uh, to a degree, but you know there are independent Lutheran churches. Believe it or not, wow. really? there's such a thing. I did not know that. Like like the like the Lutheran Church that um, Tully and Division ended up, is now in. That, that, oh, I didn't know he was at a Lutheran yeah, church. Yeah, that he, now. That he okay. fled to. It, it, it is, as far as I can tell, either part of a four, hmm. a four or five church denomination or hmm. independent. So, okay. th- so there's there's a fair amount of variety with the Lutherans, and I'm not as well versed on that. But it it you know the Lutheran church is much like the Roman Catholic church in in many ways. So there's a there's yeah. some Episcopal uh, structure there too. In in Lutheran denominations, I I should be better versed on this probably, but in Lutheran denominations, is at the what is there at the top since they don't have a Lutheran pope? <laughs> uh, I guess it would be the. Is Senate. there a council of bishops? Mm, no, no, I think it's the it's the synod, but um, 
Okay. I think, you know, I really don't know now that I think about it. Uh, I'm not not nearly as sure about that. And uh, I don't I yeah. don't want to say something that's wrong. So sure. um, uh, Wiki- <laughs> Wikipedia enough. could be a great yeah, help absolutely. on this Lutheran issue. <laughs> yeah. If anyone wants to, uh, if any Lutherans are listening and you want to correct us, feel free. Um, <laughs> I doubt we have any Lutherans listening. Speaking of which, you guys are probably going to both judge me super hard for this. But today, uh, beginning today, there's like a basically a, I hate using this word because it has so many negative connotations now in the Reformed world, but a coalition of Reformed meme pages on Facebook um, yeah, that's pretty and sad. They they began they began a war with one of the most prominent Lutheran meme pages today, and it's been pretty interesting to oh, watch goodness. that unfold. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's very interesting, man. Uh, you know, people who make memes can be really mean. Yeah, Andy, <laughs> hint hint. It's like <laughs> Brad. Brad, what's what uh, what is your opinion on memes uh, as far as Christians go? Because I'd be curious to hear. Oh, oh I've made a few. Um, good. <laughs> That's good. I, I was a photographer. I was a photographer years ago, and I've got some some Photoshop skills. So actually, I've made quite a few. Um, but <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, you know, I think there's a Presbyterian memes on Facebook. I, I do as little as I can on Facebook. That's one of the rules of Presbycast. Is Facebook is just uh, uh, off limits. Off limits. Um, but Smart. but yeah, we 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 share them on Twitter. And you know, funny. I'll okay. just throw in an aside here because we didn't talk about it at the beginning but presbycast was born on twitter and it basically it basically exists to kind of unite the what we call weird reform twitter (laughs) um so we you know i know there are a lot more people on facebook but our listeners are very young you know you two guys would be the the normal age of probably our listeners Mm -hmm. so it's kind of kind of interesting in that respect, yeah. But you know, I'm not anti-meme. Um, I use, you know, I remember oh, know. a couple of years ago, I guess maybe three years ago, I sort of uh, looked down on millennials who seem. <laughs> and I, I hate emojis. Okay, oh, there I hate you go. Or, or emoticons or whatever. <coughs> I don't use those. That's fair. But I, I used to look down on people that sort of spoke with spoken meme uh, and GIF. Hmm. But um, now I, I, I reply with GIFs sometimes. So. I'm no yeah. better. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. In in some ways, it almost feels as, as if at times Presbycast is itself a meme. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, there's there's no no question about that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I have I have Josh. You I I don't know if you're on Twitter at all, but I have been introduced through listening to Presbycast to the weird reformed Twitter world, and it is indeed weird. Oh, cool. I have to check. It, it out. can get pretty bizarre. Yeah, I tend to stay yeah. off Twitter because <laughs> I like people on Twitter are, just seem really mean. And so I tend to stay off, but I'll have to check it out for sure. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know if mean means the word. Um, I think they're more. Uh, I don't know. I think they're more intelligent than people on Facebook. That's, fair. that's, that's that, very that, fair. Actually, <laughs> that's but, very extremely no. fair. <laughs> and they're younger, but not, but there are some older people who do do really well on there. So yeah, uh, yeah. And you have to talk about to fast know. food and uh, particularly Taco Bell a good bit if you're a weird reformed Twitter person. That's very important. That is something I've noticed. Yeah. 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 I mean, Taco Bell is good. It is good. Um, Apparently like the healthiest <laughs> anyway, so, fast food chain. I, I, it is. Statistically, they have the most healthy options of any major fast food mm, chain. I didn't know that. They probably... <laughs> They probably also go on the other extreme as well, I imagine. <laughs> um, but you can probably get the best of both worlds at Taco Bell, if I had to guess. Uh, but anyway, so as, as we're touching on that, without making too many judgments, uh, and Josh, maybe you can speak to this sure. uh, since since I don't know as much about this world, but um, maybe what are some of the dangers that we see with Episcopal forms of church government as it manifests itself variously, you know, Roman Catholicism, Lutheranism, Methodism, etc. Sure. Um, hmm. Well, since I'm not like uh, the Methodist Church isn't really something I have dove in, you know, super deep into. I'm not a hundred percent. You know, fully. I'm still learning uh, their systems of polity and stuff like that. Um, but okay. I do know that uh, one issue, particularly within the Methodist Church. Nothing ever really seems to get done. Uh, things are super unorganized, <laughs> and I don't think that's. Well, a... Let me interject something. Yeah, sure. I did watch. I did watch some of the debate. Oh, cool. At the the general okay. the general conference or whatever it was called <clears throat> last week, and um, 
it was it was you know the 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 parliament parliamentary part of it was eerily similar to the PCA General Assembly. Hmm. And hmm. Um, the other things I noticed is that one side appealed almost entirely to emotion, and yep. the other side appealed appealed almost entirely to order. <laughs> and that 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 was uh, that was. Uh, uh, that, that was reminiscent of the PCA as well. I did see one guy. You, you'll be interested to hear this. Um, one guy who's pretty plugged in the PCA politics. He thought the um, the you know the the moderator or the the bishop who was presiding over the the um, uh, the affairs probably did a better job than you know he he said the methodists were doing a better job running a meeting than we were um, so <laughs> Ooh, wow and, that's that's a big insult to a presbyterian yeah and i don't i don't know if i agree but uh, i thought it was in, it was interesting that he said it i'm not going to say he was wrong yeah i think bishop i think bishop <laughs> carter is the one who oversaw the whole thing i'm pretty sure he was in charge and what's cool is bishop carter is actually the the one in charge of my particular uh conference or you know, section, whatever. Oh, okay. And I've met him before. He's actually a yeah. very nice guy. Uh, he wrote an extremely well-written uh, letter to the churches about the conference as a whole. Uh, that was very, you know, very much straight down the middle. Um, do it. it was just solid. I think he did a very good job handling the situation. Um, and there's a lot that I learned. I mean, we can maybe come back to it, but there's a lot that uh, I think is being unfairly published about the Methodist church currently. Um, and like mm-hmm. things that the media aren't necessarily cover, you know, covering. Um, but yeah, so the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, so, so one interesting thing that I, that you pointed out, Josh, as maybe a negative thing with, with, that you've noticed in Methodism is the slowness. Yeah. Um, but I, one thing I've, I've heard a lot of Presbyterians and I agree to some degree, uh, say that slowness is a thing they value about Presbyterianism. Uh, that's um, fair. That things aren't just aren't just ha- and I don't know it might be a, a, a different type of slowness, but that things aren't just like getting done and being decided willy nilly, so to speak. W- would you agree with that, Brad? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Because you know, even <clears throat> we get all excited about overtures and the voting on yeah. overtures at the general assembly, and that's just that's just um, a presbytery um, sends up this document, and it it asks the. It asks the General Assembly to vote on something and do something, you know, to change a rule or to weigh in on a subject or, or, or start a, um, uh, a study committee or something like that. And, you know, if it changes the rules of the Book of Church Order, uh, it's got to not only be passed by a majority in the, um, the General Assembly, then it's got to go down to the presbyteries, and I think it needs two-thirds margin at the presbyteries. So you can get all excited about something, and uh, it passes by one vote hmm. at the uh, General Assembly, and that and then, that means there's almost no chance it's going to pass two thirds of the presbyteries. Sure. You know, so so th- yeah. things can reverse and and take different. But I think the the votes are most interesting because they they tell you the direction that you're going, but maybe not what's going to happen right away. You know, a lot of the vote yeah. the votes become. They become symbolic at some level, but but real things happen as the result of them too. But to, to make a major yeah. to, to take a major change takes more than a year. That's the point. Mm-hmm. And then the general the, then for a, a, a big rule change, then after two thirds of the presbyteries approve it, then I think the general assembly has to, has to vote on it again. <laughs> vote again. So that, that's the wow. okay. That's the holy slowness. So and yeah, that, and that's probably one of the reasons you know. We get excited if somebody seems to be uh, short circuiting it or or not following the rules because uh, I mean that sometimes happens. You know, overtures come from a place they shouldn't come, or it's kind of iffy whether it should have been done that way. Well, you know, people take mm-hmm. offense at that more than more than they would if they just lost a vote fair and square. So yeah, that makes sense. That's interesting. So um, and I I wanted you to chime in if if you have anything to contribute on that of the either maybe positive or negative uh, things that we see with Episcopal forms of church government, how that has played itself out and maybe what its strengths and weaknesses are. Well, I, you know, I don't have anything. I was, I was rereading in preparation for this, a, a book called um, the apostolic church, which is it uh, Thomas, yeah. Thomas with a row, uh, W I T H E R O W. I think he's a, 
19th century um, Northern Irish guy, but basically a Scot. You know, the Ulster, the, okay. everyone in Northern yeah. Ireland was, was Scottish. Yeah. Um, and that's a book that was handed to me in officer training when I was a deacon in 2006 or seven. So that was my introduction to Presbyterianism. And um, uh, he, he makes the case that there never was a pre, you know, certainly Peter was, was never, if you look at, if you look at the Jerusalem Council and and all the epistles, you just don't ever see Peter referred to in any special way. You know, they're they're, yeah. they're hanging that doctrine on one verse. You know, on this rock, I'll build my church. Sure. But the rock was the confession. The rock was the truth. It was not the person. Um, yeah. And so, Withero would say that there's just not any biblical evidence for a preeminent bishop, uh, especially not one who's thought to be infallible and of course the, the doctrine of infallibility is fairly recent too uh, i can't yeah. i can't tell you exactly the year or maybe even the century but it's a fairly recent you know in the span of 2000 years it's a recent development so yeah. uh you know i, I guess the uh, the thing with with a episcopacy that might be helpful is it's efficient in some ways mm. but mm-hmm. we all but we you know we don't if you look at the roman catholic church um, there are many Roman Catholic churches. If you look at it, you know there's there's a conservative, yeah, a conservative one, and a third world one, and and a, and a liberal one. And yeah. if episcopacy really is um, efficient, we don't see that in in actual yeah. in actual fact, and we don't yeah. we don't see that it necessarily promotes unity because we know that in just like in Methodism, there's all these divisions. Sure. Well, in 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 the Anglican Church. You know, from the just like with the Methodist Church, with the conservatives in Africa and the Third World, the liberals in the United States and Britain, um, it, you know the, the, that bishop, the, the Archbishop of Canterbury, he's not able to to fix anything any better than an assembly. So, Witherell would say, yeah. that, you know, this guy, the, the book I'm referring to, he would say that there's just there's no biblical case for episcopacy. Um, and you know that's that's certainly our our starting point, and I tend to agree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think one thing that might tend to draw people to episcopacy is because of, um, and not saying this because I am drawn to it, but just <laughs> I, I've noticed in, there there are you know a lot of the accounts of the early church, many of the in the first few centuries of Christianity, we start to see already like single bishops. Um, presiding over churches or areas rather than like uh, councils of elders or although I guess you could there's an argument there even because you can talk about what presbyters functioned were in the early church and things like that but that's that's the best argument that I've heard for episcopacy as a form of government I don't know <laughs> well you know again we find it arising in congregational and independent churches yep. like, yeah. like I said you can also have in the Presbyterian church if you have a strong man pastor or someone who's just very charismatic or who's been somewhere forever, he may have, you know, power that's not really commensurate with, with his, you know, that he shouldn't have. He, you know, more influence, and he may misuse that. We've, we've seen that in Reformed churches. Yeah. Um, but I always like to say that, you know, really the Roman Catholic Church is, is just the default. It's, it's natural religion. It's naturalistic hmm. religion, and it, people, you know, if we for most of human history, um, you know, you had a local warlord or a chief or a king, and that's what people are looking to. Yeah, uh, people, people. Hmm. That's the default position for human government. You know, just like with 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 Trump, if you love him or hate him, you give him you you ascribe much more power and ability to him than he has. Sure. If you're obsessed mm-hmm. with him because you hate him, you're imagining he can do all these things to you that he can't do. And if you if you worship him, you you're thinking that he can do good things for you that he just can't you know can't do. But that's the normal yeah. that's normal human um, that's the normal human default is is a strong man. Uh, but also with the Roman Catholic Church, you know, it's the normal human default to to want to have images and a show. And uh, things that I can do, you know, or yeah. work salvation is also default form. So as I look at, it's always helpful if you're looking at ev- evangelicalism, for instance, 
you know, you look for those elements in it, which are on the ascendancy, um, uh, visual, visuals and worship, entertainment and worship. I mean, Rome invented all that stuff. So I think it's helpful Mm -hmm. to, to know about the Roman church and, and, and kind of use it as a grid to evaluate other things too. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And like you, uh, like you mentioned earlier at towards the beginning of the episode, in a lot of ways, um, congregational kind of common evangelical churches can turn into, uh, they can have their pastors turn into little popes and it becomes <laughs> just like a local one church episcopacy <laughs> in some ways. Right. And I think that's yeah. too, that's where we find a lot of problems because the churches that you see are rising up where they're building their church specifically just on this one dude, um, you know, as they mm-hmm. rise to power and then people are, you know, just flocking because they're attracted to that that pastor and then this pastor you know does what people do and fails completely and then people lose their faith over it or walk away from the faith um because it was built on the wrong thing so i definitely i mean even though i myself come from you know a not more non-denominational background uh, i definitely have a very high value and understanding um of solid polity within the church to prevent things like that from happening uh, because I think yeah. uh, some of these, you know, mainline churches that are getting all this popularity, if they had things like that in place, I don't think we'd see as many uh, pastors, you know, fall from grace, so to speak, um, you know, just kind of blowing it. Yeah. Well, one of the things when you, you talk about, um, oh, you know, powerful pastors, even in independent churches, if you look at the, you know, probably the best and most famous independent ministers of the 19th century and the 20th, um, that would be Spurgeon and Lloyd Jones. Mm-hmm. You know, their churches, mm-hmm. their churches flamed out or developed major problems just as soon as they were gone. So you you, ref, yeah. you referenced, you know, building something around one man, um, and it's just, you know, it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. I mean, sometimes it turns out better than others, but it it's, can be. Um, Very I, I do remember when our pastor yeah. left in 2007 or eight um, to be to move and be closer to his his elderly parents. Um, we pretty quickly had another pastor, and we sort of you know we had an idea who that was going to be. But it wasn't just a saying that you know the church actually continues when you've got uh, a plurality of elders. Um, that you know nothing really changes. Uh, nothing. Uh, we, we weren't rudderless. It's it's like we did not know what we were going to do uh, because yeah. we still had we had uh, let's say at that time seven ruling elders and a pastor. Well, we only lost one elder, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things. Yeah. We can, if we talk more specifically about Presbyterianism, we'll talk about the you know the <clears throat> the um, the plurality of elders means that you know they all have the same vote mm-hmm. and, and you know the, the the senior pastor or the teaching pa- teaching elder you know by, by default has more power but it's yeah. and, and he moderates the meetings typically but uh he's just one vote he doesn't have more power you know legislatively uh, <laughs> uh than, than any other so things do con- yeah. things ought to continue on and be stable in times of transition or in the loss of any one person in the Presbyterian form. But, you know, just like yeah. democracy, uh, it's it's the best form of government, but it's terrible. Yeah. You know, so, so we would say, <laughs> yeah, I would say Presbyterian, Presbyterianism is, is the best form, but it's terrible sure. sometimes. Great. So, <laughs> so, and, and so with, know that, that, with is, that beautiful you know, introduction, uh, I would love for you to just give the – because I would imagine most of our listeners – we might have a few of my Presbyterian friends listening, but most of our listeners come from just kind of a evangelical standard background. So um, I was hoping you could give us the basic rundown of Presbyterianism for those who might not be familiar. Yeah, I can do that. Um, you know, in the – in apostolic times, I mean, some people would say there – people will address this differently, but – the book I was referring to, Thomas Witherow, um, he said it, in the apostolic time you had apostles and evangelists, th- those two offices which were temporary, which faded mm-hmm. away, uh, but you had the other two offices of the church which are perpetual until until the end of, end of time, uh, elders and deacons. And uh, one of the one of the uh, things you'll see if you look in the book of Acts or if you look in the epistles is that uh, they were usually, except maybe not at the very first, 
but um, they were chosen by the people, or they were chosen by hmm. an assembly. You know, when um, when they had to choose a, a replacement apostle, there was it was a large group. I mean, the apostles, but there were others there who voted on that. Um, and uh, so, I should say this at the outset: there's a strong congregational element to to most Presbyterian forms. Uh, yeah. people, people may not know this, but uh, I mean, as a Methodist, your pa- your pastor's sort of chosen for you. Absolutely. And, and he comes in, and then they tell him when to go somewhere else. Yep. Well, a Presbyterian church uh, chooses its own pastor. Um, now, of course, the session's involved. The session is the the body of elders, um, but you know we vote on that. The congregation chooses not only the pastor but all the all the elders. Um, elders are nominated by the congregation, voted on by the congregation. Same thing for deacons. Um, so there's that congregational element. We can't buy property without a congregational vote. Now the hmm. congregation doesn't vote on everything. They don't vote on the on the Sunday school curriculum <laughs> or or you know or on the budget. Yeah. We share the budget each year, but the budget the budget is is a joint thing of of elders and deacons. But there is a congregational element. Uh, where it's appropriate, and to the degree we found it in the um, in the New Testament, um, so there are um, there are elders and deacons, and they're chosen by the people. That's sort of the first building block. Um, the other thing that needs to be made clear is that as you look through the uh, the New Testament, you'll see you'll see the words uh, basically bishops and elders. Okay, you'll see both of those. One of those, I think, in Greek is episkopos, and elder is pres, pres. I don't know if it's presbyteros or presbyteros or whatever, mm. but they are the same office. It's it's very yeah. easy to see with a pretty easy word study that uh, bishops are elders and elders are bishops. Um, mm-hmm. Now, if you want to, you know, people who go through and want to want to parse that and 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 carve out a separate role for bishops and elders, that's. You know that could be problematic, but we would hold that bishops and elders are the same. So anytime you see one, it's also the other, um, and they were the same office from the earliest days um, of the church. Um, one of the things Witherow wrote in his book was, "An elder was not inferior to a bishop, nor was a bishop inferior to an elder." Uh, hmm. So there is an equality, like I said, between even now in the PCA. We're a two-office church, which means you've got deacons and you've got elders, and the elders all have the same authority, but there are two classes of them. There are ruling elders who are from the congregation and who are not typically uh, uh, licensed or trained to preach, and then you have teaching elders. elders. (coughs) You may have more than one of those. You may have just one. So if you look, you know, like if you go on uh, uh, – Josh on Weird Reform Twitter, you'll you'll see us talking about, or especially PCA, you know, political Twitter. You're going to see us talking about Res and Tes, ruling elders and teaching elders, but they all have the same vote and they all have the same uh, authority. So that's number two. And the uh, third key thing, and this is where, again, with the Young Restless and Reform movement. We see this in, in a lot of Baptist and independent churches, but there were always more than one elder. Now, as you all, having grown up in the South, um, most Southern Baptist preachers would say, yeah, I'm the bishop, I'm the elder, and there's one. And then the deacons were this sort of amorphous board, sometimes function like the elders, sometimes function like deacons, sometimes more often than not just functioned like trustees. Yep. Uh, they were overseers. Okay, so another another biblical word for bishop is overseer. Um, yeah, that's what bishop means. That's what episcopus episcopus means. So that's another word to throw in that mix. But um, you know, one of the one of the one of the explanations for that was that the, the Baptist expanded very quickly in the frontier areas of the United States, and where some of the maybe the coastal or deep south, you know, eighteenth century Baptist churches had plurality of elders. Uh, as they as they became a frontier denomination, there you know a lot of times you didn't even have educated pastors, and you certainly didn't, mm. and so you were lucky to have one, and you weren't going to have two, and uh, so yeah. there, there was not uh, plurality 
I don't, I don't know that, you know, I'm not a scholar. I don't know that it ever was a strong plurality of elders in Baptist churches, but it certainly died off almost completely um, pretty quickly in the, in the United States. So the, yeah. So it's the idea of more than one. You're not at the mercy of one, and also importantly, that one is not at the mercy of the congregation. You know, there's not just mm-hmm. it's not many against one or one against many. Um, it's it's congregationally chosen ruling elders who are a huge part of the <coughs> of the church government. So mm-hmm. that's the third pr- principle. You've got elders, and there's more than one. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly should be. Um, and um, and the the next thing is that these elders are um, they 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 act together. Uh, they form what's called a presbytery. Now here's a little um, here's an interesting fact that shows that uh, uh, the Bible uh, keeps keeps rearing its head um, in, in Southern Baptist life, at least where I live. Um, if if a if a pastor is called by a church, well, he's got to be ordained. And even Baptists understand that uh, elders ordain elders. And when the way it works is they'll call a meeting on a Sunday afternoon, usually local Baptist preachers will get together and they'll ordain with very little examination. That's something we have time. We'll talk about how presbyteries uh, ordain elders and and vet them and and all that. We need to talk about that. But when, when Southern Baptists get together, or probably independents as well, when they have that meeting to ordain a new minister, you know what they call it? They call it mm-hmm. a presbytery. That's the only time. <laughs> that's the only time Southern Baptists use that word. Uh, that's funny. But that, that's what they call it. Uh, that's pretty I, funny. I, I learned that you know 20, 20, 25 years ago. So when elders meet together and act together, they are a presbytery. So the session is like a small presbytery, but the way. Um, the way Presbyterianism is set up generally. Um, church is in a defined region, which, you know, if you're in the OP, small church, it could be five states out west is a presbytery. In Tennessee, we've probably got three presbyteries, uh, something like wow. that. And we've got, I don't know, 40, 30 churches in our presbytery, which stretches from Georgia up to almost to Virginia. Mm. It's, kind of the I- okay. it's kind of the I-75 presbytery. It's what we are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, but uh, so the the, pres- the elders, uh, and that's not just the pastors; it's the ruling elders and the pastors in a given local area meet together to approve new ministers for their churches. So, um, if if our church calls a pastor, he has to be approved by the presbytery, the regional presbytery. Yeah. And it's not just a vote. I mean, there's uh, you meet with a you meet with a committee, um, you, you you take tests, uh, you you give your testimony, you preach a trial sermon, um, you're you're grilled on Greek and Hebrew and church history and church government, and then you take vows uh, if you're approved. And so that's a safeguard that independent churches, Southern Baptist churches, just don't have. It's not infallible. Yeah. It's not infallible. Sometimes it's a little too stringent here, and it's a little too loose there, because it's all you know sinful human beings that are involved. But it, it's um, it's it's a really um, it, it contrasts greatly with with any sort of independent church, and yeah. you can see the value of it. You know, um, yeah. And and, it, and, and and all all Presbyterian all PCA and I'd say all Napark Napark is is all the conservative uh, denominations, or maybe 12 of them, uh, con- conservative Presbyterian and Reformed denominations, um, all the ministers in Napark are seminary educated, one yeah. way or another. You, uh, you know, a local Baptist church can just call brother whoever, uh, and uh, he can probably become their pastor. But we have a tradition, for better or worse, of, of a 100% you know, educated Ministry as Presbyterians, um, hmm. and there, you know, that's where the Cumberland Presbyterian Church split off in the Second Great Awakening. That was their their issue. They wanted to be like the Baptists and the Church of Christ, and just let anybody that they anybody, if the congregation wanted this guy to be the minister, they didn't want any any hindrance there. Uh, hmm. They didn't want him to have to go off to seminary for two years or four years, and um, that was the divide. But uh, 
we we, we may make it too hard in some ways and it may be too restrictive and some people think that cuts out you know certain kinds of people and certain groups but but there are some even some alternative education you know tracks where you don't have to go live at presbytery i mean at at seminary for four years to become (laughs) ordained but that's that's typically the way it works you know it's it's, it's a long process and what other, just so people have an idea too, what other kinds of business other than ordaining ministers um, and appointing them to churches or, or approving their call to a church rather, um, what kind of business does a Presbyterian normally take care of outside of that? Well, the two main things, and these are really important for church members to understand, and this is the benefit in my mind, this is as important as anything in Presbyterianism, uh, They, they there is the oversight um, uh, that they perform, and there's two there's two ways that have well. First, the oversight. Um, we keep records. You know, we use Robert's Rules of Order. Every session meeting, every congregational meeting, we have to keep minutes and records, and all of those minutes and records are reviewed uh, usually once a year by the presbytery. Hmm. So we can't sneak. You know, I, I guess if we're dishonest <clears throat> and don't put something in the minutes. You know, uh, there's that, but um, there's someone looking at what your session's doing, mm-hmm. someone that has yeah. power, because uh, the, the ministers, the teaching elders, are not members of the church. They're members of the presbytery, so the presbytery right. has authority over them. Um, so that's important. So let's say, so that's the first thing, uh, the, the review of records uh, and the oversight in that respect. But let's just say you're a church member and you think, well, they did this, and they didn't even they didn't they didn't put in the records. They've done something wrong, or uh, I don't like what the session. I don't like this decision. I don't like what they're doing. I don't like the way they handled a complaint that I had. You have the right as a member of a Presbyterian church to appeal to the presbytery. Sure. Um, that's the most that's critically important. Now that's a laborious process. I'll tell you, I've been involved in a, <laughs> in a judicial in a judicial commission. There are a lot of rules, and it, it's not it's not real user friendly for the church member, but it's there. And yeah. so you can appeal uh, the actions of your local session to the presbytery, and they have to investigate it. They just have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're going to appoint. Um, uh, members and they may a good one will sort of appoint an advocate or an advisor for the member to help them uh, so that they're not lost mm-hmm. in in the Presbyterian weeds and um, and then let's say the Presbytery didn't act the way you wanted them to as a church member you could appeal to the General Assembly which once mm-hmm. a year we have a general so there's three levels of Presbyterian church government typically uh, sometimes there's a fourth um, but there's the local session of elders there's the presbytery, which is made up of all the teaching and ruling elders in a given geographic area, and then there's the general assembly, where all the where the presbyteries send representatives. Um, but really, anybody can go in the PCA. Anybody can go. Um, there there are limits to how many ruling elders you can send, but every every teaching elder can can go to general assembly and vote. Um, so there are. Uh, um, there are lots of uh, um, that's that's you have two levels of appeal beyond your local church. Now, a mm. case like that might take three years, <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's not a quick fix. There is no bishop to come in and wave his hand over it and say, "This is how it's going to be." It is a, it is a slow process. Um, so that's the benefit to church members. Uh, but beyond that, they're not just looking at records; they're looking at they're looking at doctrine. If a church is doing something wacky and they and the presbytery hears about it, they've got the power to look into it. Um, they 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 have authority to to make the ministers, or if they you know they don't have to cooperate, but they if they want to be a member of the presbytery and a member of the PCA, they're gonna they're going to, and we take vows to be in subjection to our brethren to abide by their decisions, um, and uh, so there's a doctrinal backstop there. Uh, as well, and every every elder in the PCA has taken um, vows that he, um, you know, that he agrees with the form of government and the doctrine of the church. Now, people can take exceptions, and maybe everyone doesn't uh, hold the uh, doctrinal standards equally, but it's much better than uh, you know, a free for all. Yeah. 
which is what is yeah. what you know that's sort of the alternative so those yeah. are those are those are the main uh the main parts we see you know where we get the idea of the graded courts that's i've already mentioned that but that's the fifth thing with mentions we see that we see local elders in the new testament we see elders of an area like okay i think the, the point was made that uh, the letter to the galatians galatia was not a town galatian mm-hmm. was a region okay it wasn't just sent yeah. to one church and so that implies a, a letter to in effect a presbytery, a region, yeah, um, and then, and then we see with the Jerusalem Council, we see the General Assembly. We would say that's our model for the for the General Assembly, and mm-hmm. of course we fill in some blanks, and you know it's you can't. There's no book of church order in the New Testament. You have to you have to arrive at one, but you want it to yeah. be you want it to be biblical. Um, but of course, above all this is the headship of Christ. We do believe we have a King. You know, we have a great bishop and that's christ um but there's no one man under him uh, there is this the body of the church you know church is christ's body so the church should be seen as a body uh under the headship of uh, of christ so um and also another thing the point that withrow makes is a, a true presbyterian church is not going to be subject to the government or to you know the wealthy and the powerful we choose our own ministers we choose the way we worship, um, and uh, so there's a, especially with the PCA, there's this grassroots um, sort of uh, ind- independent of the civil government of any sort of uh, established church. Now there are there are Presbyterians who wish they were established. You know, there, there, mm-hmm. are, there are Scottish Presbyterians who think that the the Presbyterian Church should be the established church of Scotland mm-hmm. as it once was. And- and as it is, in some ways, I mean, it's, you know that that's, a, that's that's three shows. If you wanted to talk about the history of Scottish Presbyterianism, but uh, well, in the U.S., and, we have the RPCNA, right, with their National Covenant. Yeah, and principally that's where they, <laughs> principally that's where they are. But there are no RPCNA yeah. guys plotting to overtake, you know, overthrow the government. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's good. Oh, I, don't I think, think some of the uh, Reformed Baptist theonomists that have been cropping up might be though. Uh, could be. <laughs> I'm not an, ex- not an expert. <laughs> Might on have those. to watch out for them. Yeah. Well, that's good. Thank you for that. I think that was a helpful introduction. And I don't know, Josh. Just as so- as someone who's somewhat of an outsider to Presbyterianism, was there was there anything you were wanting a- wanting expansion on or were curious about? No, I mean, if anything, I I think that it's been helpful for me, which uh, in turn would be extremely helpful for listeners, just because I simply was in the realm of unknown. You know, I didn't know. Um, the reason why I didn't know what things looked like. Um, and I mean, I have my experience with the Methodist church, but as it's been made very clear, it's, you know, the Presbyterian church is very different than that. Um, and I don't know, I think I really, uh, appreciate the, and respect the emphasis on, um, you know, wanting to make the, the polity of the church biblical um, I think it seems like there's a lot of really great advantages to the way that the Presbyterian Church does things. Um, I mean, it's definitely challenged me and, and my way of thinking uh, sometimes, especially, I guess, since I come from a more uh, like non-denominational background. That's all I know, you know, and you, you don't know what you don't know. And so if, if the non-denominational spin on things, and especially, you know, very poor examples of non-denominational uh, leadership where there's no accountability the congregation is not involved that's very much a one-man show kind of thing um knowing that there's something better out there and something greater i think is very encouraging to me um i know there are a lot of people um that have a hard time with uh this you know the pat the power that some pastors seem to have and i think um you know, they get upset, they get irritated, and they that's one of the reasons people uh, turn away from the church or organized religion is another way they might say it. Uh, but it seems like if they were able to be turned on to something like uh, what has been described in this episode, I know at least for me and my experience, um, it would be a very positive thing. I think it would be very encouraging uh, to see the, the attention to detail, the... Um, I don't know. There's the overall respect for uh, the congregation as a whole, and 
the voice of the body of Christ rather than just one person at the top and the dangers that we all know that that brings about. So from anything, for me, it's been encouraging. Um, and I, I really appreciate everything that's been so, so are you ready to embrace the uh, <laughs> Westminster Confession and join us? I, I knew that in was the, the, in the PCA. question. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Man. Uh-huh. Well, let, let me say. So, let me say a couple oh, of yeah, things. Sure. Um, a good question. You know, I think that I'm not trying to convert it. Well, yeah, I am. I'm always trying to convert people. <laughs> no worries. But, no worries. Uh, you know, the, the question as a church member is: um, this really is about unity in the in in the local church? Because the question is: if you had a problem with the leadership of your church, where do you go? Exactly. That's a good question. And, and if it's a, if it's a truly independent church, or really even a you know Southern Baptist church, they have what's called associations, which are not like presbyteries very much where would you go well what's your option you leave the church and we know that most people who are members of independent churches uh very often i won't say always but very often they're going from one church to another Uh, if you don't like if you don't like the carpet if you don't like the pastor (laughs) if you don't like the song leader if if you really did if you really were done wrong you know or if they're you know a bunch of unconverted terrible people in that church who did you wrong uh, you're just going to go somewhere else but we don't really you know nobody thinks church i don't think anybody thinks church hopping is a great idea but as consumeristic americans that's it just seems natural to some people yeah you know my mom and dad we moved i guess we moved to the town that they live in now in 1976 and they're in their second and they're they're Baptist, Southern Baptist, but they're at their second church yeah. since 1976. Wow! And uh, they really only you know they're they're elderly now, so they moved across town and they joined a church nearer them. But that's not the common experience of of most evangelicals. No, not at all. Uh, they're 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 going from one thing to the other, and uh, so that's that's bad. You know that's bad for people. I think when they have to do that. Um, so it really is about unity and continuity. Now, of course, in this mobile society where people move all the time and people live far away from their families, I mean that's that makes it that much harder. But um, but having a good church is even more important mm-hmm. than you know yeah. having something that you can can lean on. But let me say one other thing about Presbyterian, um, not just church government, but the fact of elders and a plurality of elders. Elders are to be shepherds to the members. Mm-hmm. I know you'll mm-hmm. hear about shepherding. That's kind of a buzzword. But, you know, in most Presbyterian churches, the congregation is sort of divided up. And let's say my church where you've got, let's just say, 200 members. If you've got eight elders, each elder's got, you know, uh, six or eight families that he's supposed to, you know, keep up with and, and visit once a year. We don't always do that. But, uh, but you know, if that person's sick or that family has a, a problem, they have both an elder in our church, an elder and a deacon assigned. Now, they can call the pastors anytime they want to, but, but we have these groups, and we, we divide the flock up, and you have special responsibility. And then, of course, you report to the whole session uh, about, about needs. You, you don't, they don't become eight little churches if you've got eight elders. But, uh, but there's... there's there's there are real real world local uh, relational benefits of this too. You know, in a mega church, and you may have been in a mega church or something like that. You, yeah. you may not have ever shook. You may not have ever, you know, shook the, the the lead pastor's hand. You know, you may be in a multi site, and you know you you relate to the lead pastor through a video screen, and you you may you may relate to a staff member, paid staff. But you, you may or may not have, uh, you know, an elder who's a, just a civilian like you with the same problems you have and with, you know, with kids and that's, that's there for the long haul. That's not looking for another yeah. church job. They, they're there and they, they're going to be there. And uh, so they're real. Um, it, you know, the Bible tells us that you're supposed to keep watch over the flock, mm-hmm. know your flock. And uh, you know that's hard. It's easy to go to a meeting and vote, but it's it's not easy to get involved with all the problems yeah. that everyone has. Right. You know, uh, yeah. The, the normal well, and, church, the normal church life. Uh, if you have a church with no problems and no uh, notorious sinners and no, uh, you know, 
no one no i don't want to commend this but you know if if no if no teenage girl ever gets pregnant and there's never any a merit a marital problem and no one ever has financial problems you know you've you're you're not dealing with humans somehow (laughs) and you should yeah you should be a little worried about that so um that that's that's my my spiel on that that's good And, and something you brought up there too is um, the benefit of in Presbyterianism having ruling elders who are lay people and not having I know a lot of like Baptist or non-denominational churches now will have a board of elders where all of the elders are paid staff right. they're all pastors mm. um, kind of I guess like what you were describing earlier Josh and uh, and while there's certainly an important place for paid pastors in the church uh, having elders who are around for the long haul they're not they didn't move to this church because of a job uh, you know they're there and they're rooted in that church a lot, often a lot more deeply than the paid pastors are. And so um, that brings a different dynamic to it. Yeah, for sure. And Josh, I'm not just taking shots at you. No, no, dude, <laughs> not, not at all. I think, like I said, if anything, this has been extremely encouraging for me. Um, and it just leaves me with questions, uh, you know, specifically in, you know, the realm of uh, – the way churches operate that I've been a part of and, and things like that. So if anything, this has been a positive experience yeah. for me. Um, I've learned a lot and I've really appreciated it uh, as a whole. And I know I've been kind of quiet this episode, but I've really just been trying to soak it all in and, and, and learn all that I can. Cause it's, I mean, this is very new to me. Awesome. And, uh, I genuinely, I greatly appreciate it um, because my, my experiences with church polity have not been great. Um, you know, serving on a staff where the the pastor was very much um, a dictator and was verbally abusive and spiritually abusive, and I had zero place to turn except for myself to resign and go find another church. Uh, it, that's that's a hard thing to go through, and so this um, realm of church polity, the the Presbyterian Church, is like I said, giving me a a, a sign of hope, if anything, and so. I've been encouraged by this um, conversation, if nothing else. Well, one last thing. Let's talk about scale for sure. a minute. You know, yeah. probably the average PCA church is a hundred members, maybe something like that. Maybe the average OPC church is uh, even a little smaller. Uh, so these aren't. We were not talking about big churches, but our session sort of believes that if we if we grow to three hundred, we we plant another church. Mm. Yeah, um, that we don't feel like uh, you know a group of eight or ten guys can take care of more than three, three hundred sure. people. It's just not a, it's not a human scale. Uh, you lose something. So yeah, the, you know I think the mega church model, and that's not to say there aren't good churches that have six, eight hundred, a thousand members, but the mega church model is just I don't think it's biblical. Uh, yeah, and I certainly don't think multi side is. Um, so. <laughs> You know, you may if if you've been going to a mega church and you go to a Presbyterian church and there's seventy or eighty people there or 150, 150 is going to seem small for some people. Um, don't be discouraged by that; uh, it has benefits, and uh, yeah. you, may, you may not see them Absolutely. at first. Of course, you know the other thing is with smaller churches, you know, you get two or three, two or three weirdos <laughs> in there, or you know, it's another another saying a saying that I think I coined. There's no weird like reformed weird. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, the grass is not always greener over the reformed septic tank. I can tell you that. Uh, we we got That's some weird we got some weirdos, and we've got you yeah. know we've got we've got extreme homeschoolers, and we've got uh, people who are extreme who, who would who would be liberal on some social issues that might rub a lot of people the wrong way. Mm-hmm. We've got. Uh, We've got uh, we've got theonomists. We've got you know we've got uh, antinomian, uh, hyper grace people, and we've just got you know we've just got uh, uh, all all sorts of different people. So there's no perfect church, uh, but the, the structure I think is most biblical in Presbyterianism, and it, it ought to be usually ought to be much better than it is. You know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Real, real world, real world. Uh, your your mileage will vary, but uh, <laughs> you know we're we're a good solid Honda uh, Civic. There we go. And, uh, yeah. You, you, Nothing you, flashy. You may get a you may get a lemon, but it ought to last you a long time. Sweet. Yeah, that's that's a good way to describe it. Um, so 
so believe it or not, this episode was not brought to you by the PCA. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope, but I do hope that this uh, this episode has encouraged some of our listeners uh, to be interested in polity because a lot of Christians today uh, say, you know, I'm not interested in church politics. You know, I don't want to get involved with all that. But how a church is governed uh, really matters, and it really affects the health of a church in a lot of ways. So uh, hopefully, this will encourage you to look into church polity. Uh, different forms of church government, maybe how your own church is governed, and ultimately, of course, hopefully to convert to Presbyterianism. <laughs> um, but until that happens, uh, at least at least take an interest in it and be invested in it. Uh, gentlemen, either, either of you have any closing thoughts as we wrap this up? Well, I know for me right now I'm subscribing to PresbyCast, and I would uh, encourage our there listeners to do the same. <laughs> It, you know, let me warn you, it's an acquired taste, <laughs> and uh, we do some – we have a lot of – you know, I heard somewhere, some I don't know, an article or something, said one of the ways to build group cohesion was to have inside jokes, mm. you know, and not explain everything. So we don't explain all the acronyms. <coughs> no, we, don't, we, yeah. don't really, we don't really make it easy for new people, and that's actually by design because sure. um, mm. if, you, if, you if you can stick around for a while, you're probably there – you probably stick, um, but uh, we're, we're and and we have we have the strangest bumper music. In, <laughs> they in do. All, That's true. In all of podcast, uh, all of podcasting, and the point yeah. with that is because we're really big on worship. We talk about worship and and ecclesiology mostly, and then sort of current current uh, reformed events. But uh, our, our really bad uh, gospel bumper music usually from the 60s or 70s it's meant to make the point it's it's meant to me to it's meant to make people think about the kind of work the music we have today it's, yeah. it's a reminder that all music was once contemporary oh, sure. you, need to be, you need to be very careful um with uh with church music and uh be uh you know have some self-awareness uh, in that that's respect that's interesting that's good I've, I've always wondered about that because the the bumper music truly is uh, cringeworthy at times. Oh, it's meant to be. It, it's meant it's to be. fantastic. I love yeah, it. Yeah, that's good. Any any closing? Any other closing thoughts, Josh? No, no. Oh, let me let me just say uh, thanks for inviting Brad, yeah. me. And uh, and you told me Josh was a clown, and I think he's a good guy. You know? <laughs> well, thank you so much. He's, I, he's, yeah, sorry, Josh. I may have I may have talked thoughtful. a little trash. You know, he's thoughtful and and uh, and uh, good good a good dude. So uh, thanks Sweet. a lot. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for. Yeah, for coming on again, I've I've super appreciated this conversation. I know I'm not as cool as Andy. I don't fall into the reformed crowd, but uh, thanks for putting up with me <laughs> for the time that we've spent together. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate it, um, and uh, hopefully this will spark some interest in ecclesiology for some people. <laughs> so um, for the time being, check out PresbyCast. Uh, of course, you can contact us if you have any angry messages, any refutations, specifically et directed uh, through at our me, website. Not at me. Yeah, specifically directed at me. Uh, theology su- theology doesn't suck <laughs> And then we're also on Instagram, and uh, we have a Facebook discussion group that we just launched, so you can look us up on there as well. Um, we don't have a Twitter yet, though, no. so we really need to get yeah, on that. Maybe you can man that um, for us, Andy. Maybe, I, maybe I can be the Twitter guy. Um, so anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, sayonara. Let's go Caps! Caps!